Welcome to the Team Building Podcast, where you'll learn how to build a dominant real estate team in your market. Featuring masterminds with team leaders and mega agents, plus in-depth interviews with operations managers and marketing directors of some of the top teams in the country. You'll learn the latest methods to generate and convert leads, streamline your operations, recruit and train better agents, and raise your profit. And now, here's the latest Team Building Podcast. Hi, Jeff Cohn here with the Team Building Podcast, where we interview top team leaders and broker owners from across the country. We're bringing you a special episode today of our Thursday high-level group team leader coaching product through Elite Real Estate Systems. You don't want to miss out on this amazing topic, which will help you scale your business and have similar results that our flagship team had going from 70 to over 700 unit sales in just six years. If you want to know more information about our high-level team leader coaching product, you can find out more information on our website at EliteRealEstateSystems.com or schedule your customized interview today at ERSDemoCall.com. Enjoy. Okay, so when I was listening to podcasts and reading books and really learning about what kind of a business I wanted to build, a big part of defining that was going out and physically seeing other offices. And this is the big reason we push so hard for people to come out to our workshop. Obviously, you'll learn a lot of the things we would teach at the workshop throughout the course of the next 12 months inside of coaching. But to get to feel our culture, to get to get an idea or a sense of, the commitment, loyalty, drive, fun environment that we've created, it's really hard to teach that. And it's hard to show that in a recording. You just have to physically come and attend. So I know we have a handful of people that are here with us today that have been out and have watched our brokerage alignment meeting, our brokerage accountability meeting. Could we just take two or three minutes to discuss that and, and how it pertains to culture by simply essentially identifying what is the culture you experience before I tell you what I believe my culture is. I'd love for getting some feedback from you guys that have actually seen it and have you share with us, you know, what are, what are some of the culture pieces you've seen after coming out to Omaha and watching those meetings? Who, who would like to go first? All right. Hey Jeff. Hey, what's happening, man? So uh, when we were there, I liked the, uh, the cafe vibe of your office. You know, it's not like other brokerages where you walk in and everyone's isolated in their little cubicles. They're a big open space. People can come and go as they please. And I think it's more welcoming. So, like, when, when you start with the meetings and you start doing accountability, everyone's kind of in the right mood to begin with. Just feels relaxing, almost like you're just in a cafe, like you said, a restaurant. Yeah. Cool. Good feedback. Making it not feel like an office, right? So our new office, so the one um, all of you would have visited, it was a 3,200 square foot office with about a thousand square foot open room. And then we had two conference rooms, three offices, which I think is a great hybrid office. Um, as you guys look at what you would want your next step to be, I think working towards that, if you don't already have that, that would be, I think, a really good solution. Just one big open space. We have a kitchen attached to it, little work areas that are open, no cubicles, and then some conference rooms for closings. And then a few offices. The only people that ever get offices since 2014 have been admin. So pretty much anyone that's on salary, anyone that's getting paid would have a physical office. No agents have offices. It's all touch and go. Agents should be in the field. They can prospect from home. Now more than ever, everyone has their home office, home gym, home yoga studio set up. So it makes it even easier to operate that way. Our new office is about a 2,500 square foot open room. We've got six conference rooms. We have 12 offices. 
digital marketing room, and then the big training facility. So we will share pictures. August 25th, we have professional pictures coming. If you haven't already followed me on Instagram, we leak pictures there all the time, at Jeff M. Cohn on Instagram to see some of those pictures. All right, Ted, let's go with you. Ted is a, Ted's brokerage joined our company about a month ago, and Ted knew of me. Um, he became pretty good friends with one of my investment partners, Clint. Um, I haven't even asked Ted for feedback, so hopefully it's positive. But I'd be curious, Ted, from your perspective, you came on when we were still in a temp space. So we had to move from our beautiful Taj Mahal that you guys had seen, um, whoever had visited here, to this attempt space that's like 2,200 square feet. What was your first impression, Ted, of how that meeting went compared to what you had seen up to that point? Uh, one thing that I've always liked is just the, the interactive side of the company. Uh, you know, even though you guys are in that temp office, you guys still had a big focus on, uh, you know, you have big screens all around, stats on there. Um, I remember my first time visiting the brokerage, the stats were the things that really appealed to me, seeing how everybody was standing out, um, calls made, uh, you know, see, seeing, uh, uh, you had a couple guys on top that just kind of dominate the whole entire pie. Yep. <laughs> so, you know, those are the things that really stood out for me. Uh, and I, I really like the, the culture of the meeting. Uh, you know, it's very structured. It's always right on time, start and end. And that's something I, I appreciate because I value my calendar. <laughs> cool. I love it. So I hear Ted talking about transparency. Uh, we've always been very transparent. It always bothered me. Thank you, Ted. It always bothered me when I would go somewhere or ask somebody a question on stage and I'd say, how many leads do you generate a year? How many of those do you convert? How much do your leads cost? How long do your leads on average stay in the database? How many of those leads ended up getting referred to your vendor partner? How many of those, you know, what's your average sales price? What's your average amount of time you work with a buyer? Um, I'd, I'd want to know, like as a seller, how many showings do I need before I get an offer on my property, before my property sells? How many buyer, how many showings do I expect a buyer to go on before they go under contract? And no one ever knew the answers to these questions. And I, I, did, I still to this day, I'm like, why do we not know this? All we have to do is track it. And, that, and in that lies the challenge. And that's where accountability is so important and creating a culture of tracking. And so from the beginning, 2011, we just used Excel spreadsheets and we tracked all this. And when someone put in a sale, they had to give us that information. And if they didn't, they don't get their commission check, just like when they don't turn in their paperwork. So we can't give you your, your commission check, Glenn, until you've told us how many showings did you go on with that buyer before they went under contract? How long were they in our system before they went under contract? Where did the lead come from? You know, obviously you'd know the price point of the property. But we made sure that we tracked all that so that when people asked me, I could answer it. And surprisingly, as I've spoken now all over the country and I'm on webinars and all this stuff, people are super impressed that I know my numbers. I hear people say that all the time as a big compliment. And in my mind, I don't think that it's special at all. I know it's special because a lot of people don't do it, but it wasn't hard. It seriously wasn't hard at all. It's like just knowing it. So like, do you know how much, how many gallons of gas your vehicle takes? I drive a Raptor, so it's 35 gallons. A lot of people don't know that. So just by knowing your number, it's not that hard to do it. You just got to track it and do it. It already differentiates you from a lot of the other people. All right. One more thing in terms of uh, what you guys saw when you came out and visited Omaha. For those that had come out, I know we had a couple other people here that have been here before. Sherry. <laughs> All right, Sherry, let's have you go. I'll let you unmute or else we'll have an unmute battle. I should have volunteered to go first because now they took the thing oh, you got to have come up with something new. So uh, here's the deal. Everybody has a preconceived notion and don't think that they don't already have this about your team, right? So everybody has like this identity in their market and people have a perception of what you might or might not be. 
And they don't truly know, I don't feel like until they're there for a couple months and actually get to experience it. But your opportunity to win them is everything you show them on social media. So what they can see optically online and then what they see when they come into your office for one hour when you invite them to a brokerage meeting. So it's very important that when they see that, that that meeting that they're invited to or whatever that first touch point is, that that represents who you are, what you are. So, Sherry, what did you expect first and foremost? And then what did you experience? Um, well, I, I'm not sure what I expected, but I mean, I, I didn't expect as much transparency as there was um, and just the welcoming feeling. I mean, you have all these people that come into your office on a Monday morning and everybody was just so welcoming and willing to share information. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess one thing for me that stood out was just the buy-in from all of your agents. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody just was willing to follow your procedures. You know, they track their numbers, they make the calls, um, you know, and that was something that we were kind of struggling with, I guess, is, you know, having these systems and tracking these numbers and trying to get our agents to buy in and actually do it. Mm -hmm. Um, So I thought that was pretty amazing. Cool. Good feedback. Thank you. It's funny, even while you were answering the question, I was watching Alyssa and Natasha both checking their cell phones. So one of the things that we've done in our training is we require everyone to put all their devices away unless they're taking notes. So they can use their phone or their computer to take notes. But and I'm sure that's what both of you ladies were doing is taking notes. And of course, I'm just teasing you. But one of the things that really bothers me, and I'm sure you feel this as well as a leader, is when you're speaking, someone looks at their device. They're essentially communicating to you that whatever's happening on that device is more important to them at that moment than the information I'm providing or the information that someone else in the room is providing. And so what we would see as we'd go around the room is someone would report their numbers. And once they'd reported their numbers, they're back on their device and no one's listening. And I I always tell the agents, follow the golden rule. Do unto others as you'd expect others to do unto you. You wanted everyone to listen when you reported your number. So don't report your numbers and then jump on your device and ignore everyone. I ask for one hour. So go to cult, you know, you look at your culture and what I want someone that commits to being part of our organization. All I'm asking, give me one hour a week to come to this brokerage alignment meeting. Give me 20 minutes to have an accountability meeting one-on-one, whoever that person might be, but allow us to hold you accountable. And then come to as many trainings as we offer, come to as many events as we offer, but none of that obviously is required, but it is encouraged. And what we found, we used to score agents based on, did they come to the brokerage meeting? Did they go to the alignment meeting? Did they go to their one-on-one? Did they go to the charity event? Did they go to the fun event? And the agents that attended all of this stuff made the most amount of money. It was always the agents that had bought in, like what Sherry was saying, that were making the most amount of money because they were implementing all the things that we were teaching and training. So how do you build that culture is the question and is the focus for the month of August. First and foremost, what I'd like to get into is you first need to know what culture you want to build. And so if you haven't seen a team yet that represents what you would envision would be the culture of the team you're trying to create, I would recommend you find a team that you want to be like when you grow up. And if that team doesn't exist, then you need to build that team within your own organization. And the best way to get culture and to get buy-in is to truly become what you're teaching. You know, do what you preach. Don't be, uh, don't talk about it, be about it. And so one of the things I did back in 2011, I had been a very successful agent, uh, rookie of the year, my first year in 2007. Uh, I was selling about 50 or 60 homes a year for five consecutive years. Uh, I netted 350,000 my last year in production. 
uh, before launching my team in 2011. And I knew that I wanted all my agents to be as successful as me. And I started looking at why I was successful compared to a lot of the other agents, what my activities were like, what my processes were like. But being in charge of other people, it obviously, is really hard. You're, you know, you're only as strong as your weakest link. So how could I inspire these people that chose to align with me to be more like me? And so I started visiting teams that impressed me and taking ideas from their team meetings and their one-on-ones and their training and implementing it in our area. And what I found is it really just comes down to three things. When people say, how do you grow? How do you, how are you successful? Number one is, you know, culture plays a part of this, but it comes down to lead generation, teaching people to create leads and giving leads to them, training them on how to work leads and generate their own leads and holding them accountable to generating leads and following up with leads. And it is that basic training, accountability, systems. And a lot of people take for granted how simple it actually can be. Um, but those are the three that, you know, I, we found were what helped us to scale so fast and what continue to help us to grow. And it really is that simple. It's all the other stuff that I think kind of gets in the way. So three main books that I want to share today, and Clayton's going to find the links on Amazon and share them with you. If you haven't already read these three books, I'd highly recommend picking up copies or listening to the audios. Um, one is The Five Dysfunctions of a Team by Patrick Lencioni. This book kind of creates this fictional situation where um, there's a great salesperson, but they have a horrible attitude. Uh, there's a person that owns the company that wants to work in the CEO role, but they're better off in a different role. And I think it's a good reminder for each of us to ask ourselves, are we on uh, the best seat on the bus? Are we in the right position for our, our skill set? Um, and if we don't already know that and you're sitting right now going, I, I don't know, I'm just kind of doing everything, then you might want to pick up a copy, five dysfunctions of a team and see what roles you're in, um, maybe what dysfunctions could exist inside your organization. Um, just a, a show of hands for those that have the video going. Who has already read that book? The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. All right. So only about a half the group. So I highly recommend that uh, for anybody leading a group. I know after we had read it, we recognized a lot of dysfunctions inside of our group that we had allowed to happen. And the biggest excuse is you can't teach old dog new tricks. Well, yeah, you can choose what old dogs you choose to have on your team. Every problem you have, if it's your team, is your fault. <laughs> Extreme ownership, which is another book I wasn't going to talk about, but that's one I'll add to the list. Extreme ownership talks all about how you have complete control of your organization. And um, if you have a, a bad egg, so to speak, we've always put our bad eggs on probation. And what we found from a pattern standpoint is over the last 10 years, every time we put someone on probation and shared with them why we thought they needed to be on probation, they typically would back off. They would leave the team within two to three months of having that meeting. Because what we found is the culture you create, if an agent can't live up or, or an admin can't live up to that expectation, they're going to leave. They're not going to be comfortable. Birds of a feather flock together. So people will join because they want to be successful, but they won't want to put in the work for success. And I'm going to say that again, because in that lies so much. Then this is not just real estate. This is life. This is your family members that are jealous of your success. This is people that go to conferences all the time, but then never implement anything. And they're just life learners and not life implementers. Everybody's attracted to the success. Most people are repelled. They're literally repulsed by the work that has to go in to be successful. So you'll get a lot of people that want to join and it won't work out. And then people from the outside will say it didn't work out because you don't have a good team. Well, that's not true. It didn't work out because the person didn't work. Same reason leads don't work. Zillow leads suck. Google ad leads suck. Boomtown sucks. 
all the leads are horrible because clients are horrible, right? It's hard to work with, with anybody. But the truth is anyone willing to work will always be successful. The people that aren't won't. So uh, the second book um, that I wanted to recommend is The Top Five Regrets of the Dying. And I know I've brought that up in the past. Has anybody read that book, by the way? Show of hands on that one. So I know that sounds a little morbid. Um, it's a really cool book. It'll change the way you think about how you want to spend your life, how you spend your time, the choices you're going to make. And it was literally written by a nurse. I think she's from Australia. Correct me if I'm wrong for those that have read it. Uh, but it was written by a hospice nurse who aided about 100, 100. When the book was written, she had aided over 100 plus people in hospice to their death. And while doing so, these people would confess to her all these things they regretted. And she found a pattern that all the things they'd ever say really came down to five categories, which I'm not going to get into today and steal the thunder. Um, I will share one or two as I think of them. But um, what's really interesting about the book is as we think about the organization we want to create, I certainly don't want to have regrets when I'm in hospice, which hopefully is in 50 years, but I don't want to have regrets. So I should also, I feel like as a leader, create a culture or an environment that makes it so those that are in my organization also do not have regrets. I don't want to be a reason that someone has a regret as, and that might sound weird, but I don't want to build a, a mousetrap that by someone choosing to plug into my mousetrap, when they are in hospice, they're regretting it. So we have certain rules we've created in our organization. We're like, no one's here to just put ones and zeros in their bank account. Money by itself is pointless. So we require people to actually spend the money on the things that make them happy spend the money on the things that they've defined is, you know, in line with the life that they want to live. If they're not doing that, then they shouldn't be in my organization. So you go to culture. To me, that's culture 101. Will your organization allow someone to live and lead the life of their dreams? More importantly, will your organization help somebody define the life they want to live and take it a step further that once that life's been defined, show them a roadmap. Each person has a custom roadmap to help them generate the income and figure out what the income needs to be to live and lead the life of the dream. And then is there training in place to help them have the know-how to be able to make the income to live and lead the life of the dream? And is there accountability in place to make sure they're doing the things they've been trained to do to make the income to live and lead the life of their dreams? And then are you willing as a leader to say to someone, hey, Bernard, Lucas, Natasha, I honestly don't think my organization's the solution to help you generate the income to live and lead the life of their dreams because you're not doing the activities you've committed to yourself and your family you're willing to do day in and day out to get the results. So what organization do you think, rhetorical, what organization do you think is the solution to help you make the money to live your dream? Because for me, what I truly want for every person, and I have two or three agents here with us today listening to this, I want each person to live and lead the life of their dreams. If my organizations I've built is not a solution for that, they should leave. Ted and Lee and Clayton, I think you are the only three, you should leave any organization you're working with that's attached to me if you don't feel like what we've built is the solution to helping you live and lead the life of their dreams. I've never had a leader tell me that. I've never heard that. I've always felt like a cog in somebody else's wheel to help make them money. I never felt like I had a leader come to me and say, Jeff, why are you here? All I ever heard is how are you doing? And I'd say, I'm doing really good. And then they're done listening. Oh, cool. You don't care about me. All you care about your profit margin. You don't care about me living and leading the life of my dreams. And it's not about the house sale. When someone brags, oh, I sold another house. Cool. I don't care about the stupid house sale. I care. What are you going to do with that money? What item are you checking off your vision board? 
What trip did you get to go on? What experience did you get to have? What money were you able to save to be able to send your kid to college or take your grandkids to Disneyland? That's why we're working, in my opinion, based on the research I've done. And that's the culture that we've created. And that takes us to the last book recommendation, which is The Dream Manager. And this is one of the best. Who's read that? But show of hands. The Dream Manager. Not very many people. Wow. Just Sherry. Lucas, sort of. You pick it up and put it down. So the dream manager, this book's awesome. This guy, uh, he owns a janitorial service company. He has about 750 janitors um, all over his region. I don't remember where it, where it is. It's been a couple of years since I read it. But the idea behind the book was that they were having an issue with retention with the their employees. And a lot of their employees um, were Spanish speaking, um, English as a second language and not very good English. And a lot of their employees were, they would only last like two or three months and then they'd go away. And so he assumed that by paying those employees more money, um, he'd be able to retain more of the employees. And so they got together as a management team and they decided we're going to increase everyone's pay by $2 or something. It was huge to the bottom line, like an extra 50 grand a month. And somebody came up with the idea of instead of just going and giving more money, which I think about us paying a more of a commission split. Let's give them a better split. Let's give them a better split. Let's pay our admin more money. Instead of paying more money, someone said, you know what? Let's do a survey. Let's go find out from the 750 people if what they actually need is money or if it could possibly be something else. And I'll challenge to whoever said they read it. What was the number one reason people were leaving and not staying on? Cherry, was it you that said you had read the book? Do you remember? Number one reason that they weren't retaining transportation. The number one reason was the public transportation that got them to the facility to be able to get the equipment and pick up whatever vehicles they had didn't run on nights and weekends. And so they were having trouble getting transportation to work. And so what do you think the company did? Instead of spending, instead of spending $50,000 a month, which they thought was the solution to retain these people, which that wouldn't have solved anything to pay them more. They decided to offer a transportation service before Uber existed. So they did the internal, they bought a couple of vans and had drivers and they'd bring people to work and they increased their retention by a hundred percent. Imagine that they're losing not a hundred percent, 50%, half, half of the people ended up staying that normally would have left attrition wise every single month. And so a couple months went by and they were still having some issues. And then they said, okay, well now let's give people more money. Now that we've got the transportation thing down, Let's give people more money. And so the same person challenged it a second time. And I'm stealing the thunder from the book, but I like this and we'll end on this. Um, and they said, let's give them more money. They said, let's do another survey. And in the second survey, they learned that the janitorial job, this is not going to come as a surprise to anyone here. And this is applicable to your buyer's agents is a stepping stone to allow those individuals to go on to other things, maybe to start their own roofing company or to move into a house or to buy their the first car. And they started to learn that if their organization was more focused on helping people realize their dreams rather than getting all these people just to plug in to make their $12 an hour, if that job could be a source of allowing them to step on the stone and move on to another career path or buy their first house, it would make all the difference to retaining more people. And so they hired financial planners, financial advisors to come in full time and meet on a weekly basis with every single employee to hold them accountable to saving money, setting up a bank account, setting up a checking account, maybe getting their first credit card, maybe getting their first credit check. 
And there's a myriad of stories that inspired me to then build what I've built, but a myriad of stories from that book where somebody bought their first house, somebody bought their first car, somebody, you know, there's all these firsts. And so you look at these three books that I talked about today, and actually there's four, Extreme Ownership, The Five Dysfunctions of a Team, The Five Regrets of the Dying, and Dream Manager. That is really, I mean, I've read hundreds of books, but those are the four that I think really shaped my mindset around the culture that I wanted to create. And as we go deeper into the topic of culture in the next three weeks, take it from that perspective of, I want to make sure I'm helping people live and lead the life of their dreams. So the first thing is accountability, holding them accountable to such a level that we're not making sure they're just making money so our organization doesn't go under. I'm making sure they're making money so that when they are in hospice, they don't have regrets. Think of the pressure that creates. That to me is living the dream. That to me is true servant leadership. That to me is the type of human being we should be. So when we're in hospice, we have no regrets. I cannot have a regret knowing I got on podcasts and trainings and I met with people and I shared my whole belief system around how to serve those around us. There's nothing more invigorating. And people say, you have so much energy. Why is that? Well, I get a group of, you know, I've got 30, 40 people watching live and another 50 are going to watch this recorded. And I know that by the, by the things I choose to share, it will truly impact. It'll change people's lives. And you should feel the exact same way as a leader. When you're talking to your significant other, your friends, your family, and those that trust you that are in your world, you should feel just as invigorated and just as empowered to help them change their lives. Um, and then we talked about uh, the dream manager. So understanding that your organization can truly be the solution to help people realize their dreams. And we don't always realize that until we see the impact and influence we have created with those in our organization. So maybe today I challenge each of you step back and ask yourselves, whose lives up to this point have you impacted? Where have you made a difference outside of helping people buy and sell houses, which is obviously important, but to me, that's not inspiring. They can do that without you, no offense. There are other people to help them down that road. There are not very many people that I have seen from a leadership standpoint that think the way I'm sharing you with you guys today in terms of culture, where you can truly be the person that helps somebody maybe go to college, maybe buy their first house, maybe they'll get to move across the country. It's always their dream to move to Florida. We've had how many agents, Clayton, two or three in the last 12 months that moved to Florida. It was always their dream and they've left Omaha. I don't know why they'd ever want to leave Omaha, Nebraska, but they did. And I'm so happy for them. Um, we've had people swim in the ocean for the first time, have babies, live on acreages, um, ride horses. The list goes on and on and on. And we celebrate that on a weekly basis. So in closing, and then we'll open this up for Q&A, I believe it. the onus is on us as leaders to help those within our organization um, have the same opportunities that we've had become just like us. True leaders serve their followers by training them, coaching them, and holding them accountable to becoming just like them. And in so doing, you will be a stronger leader. You will be a better person. Um, and you'll put yourself in a position where you won't have regrets when you're dying. We need to help everyone in our world realize their dreams. It's my job to help each of you realize yours. But more importantly, is help you help those within your organizations realize theirs. And then you start thinking about impact and influence and all the lives that you can change. And there's nothing, to me, there's nothing more exciting than that. So I think that's a really good way to end this. And as you think about culture and as we go forward these next three weeks, we're going to talk about culture of accountability, culture of giving, like charitable contribution, charity events, and the culture of fun and all the different things we do to keep it live, keep it fun, keep it friendly, keep it down to earth. And that's a wrap.
So thank you guys for being here for this kickoff call. I look forward to the next three Thursdays. We will now stay on for the next 25 minutes uh, for Q&A. Any questions you have, it doesn't have to be pertaining to culture. We can get into any topic you want. There's no rules. Uh, I will continue to be transparent, and I will be here with you guys as long as you want. So for those that are going to stick around, let's get into it. What do you guys want to talk about today? All right, we'll start with Justin and then Bill. I just want to say that was awesome, Jeff. You know, I've been kind of part of the organization for a while now, and it's just you're on fire, man. It's every 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 month you're getting better and better. So thanks for sharing that today. So that was good stuff. I appreciate that. It's funny. I'll share this back to transparency. You guys don't know this, but I get intimidated to come on these um, these trainings, and I'm int- intimidated, and I'll probably get emotional talking about this, but I'm intimidated because I want to bring so much value that you leave on fire wanting to change the world in your own offices, and to be so motivated to want that to be the solution, like, that's asking a lot. I'm putting a lot of pressure on myself. It was funny. I did a workout this morning with Lee, who's on the call right now, and he wanted to go hot tub with me. I, I did hot tub, Lee even though there was lightning hitting, I spent an hour of meditation before every one of these Thursday calls. And in that meditation, I'm just thinking, how do I bring the most value today? And I used to psych myself out because I would work out before the training call and I'd watch last year's call. So all of these, for anyone that's new, this is a 12-month rotation. And so I'd listen to the, la- the, the year before's call that I did. And every time I listened to it, this is going to be super narcissistic, so buckle up. I thought to myself, it could not be any better. I'm like, this is amazing. Like, how could it be any better? And I would psych myself out. Like, I can't do better than this. And I appreciate the feedback from you, Justin, because I honestly still worry like, oh, last year's call was way better than this year's call. And so as I what I found is it's not as much about, I mean, it's the content, but it's the transparency part and being open and being real. That's all people want. So that makes a huge difference too in culture to not be somebody you're not, just be yourself. And if people don't like you, then Go pound sand. I tell, we probably would have a lot more coaching clients if I just loved on every single person the same way. I'm myself. If people don't like me, if you don't think our coaching company is the solution to help you live and lead the life of your dreams, there's a lot of other coaching companies you can go to. I want people to align with us because they believe this is the one that's going to help them get there. So I appreciate your, your vote of confidence and you guys being a part of this with us. And Justin, thank you for your feedback. All right, Bill, you're up. And then who wants to be after Bill? All right, we'll get Bernard on deck. Yeah, I'll, I'll second that. I, I'm getting a lot about. I'm getting a lot out of these meetings, and um, it's helped us to function better. Um, so I appreciate it, Jeff, and I certainly sense the emotion as well. But I was going to ask the Google Cardboards kind of regressed a little bit to earlier in the meeting. Yep. We've purchased a bunch of Google Cardboards. Do you find that the um, the resolution it, we're having some problem with resolution, uh, double? Uh, Split screens, the whole nine yards. Any feedback you can give me on that? That would be great. Um, you're speaking to resolution. So resolution will be denoted by the quality of the Matterport video that was created. Um, Alyssa, you're still with us. Is that the Matterport camera? That's not easy to pull out, is it? Pop that out really quick. So they just ordered a Matterport camera. They're going to go grab it. It's about a $3,000 camera. You don't have to use the actual $3,000 camera. You can actually use your iPhone now and load those images up. Um, that's the least expensive option, and the quality is horrible. The second best would be using a Ricoh camera, R-I-C-O-H camera. They're about $190, and they'll do the spin. The best is to just get the Matterport camera. So the challenge for us, Bill, is that our agents, when they're using the cardboard or they're going into other people's Matterport, we are relying on the quality of Matterport experience that that listing agent that possibly is not in our organization has created for the client. 
And so you will not always get the best experience. What we have ensured in our organization is all of our listings have the camera that's sitting on Alyssa and Lucas's desk right now. Hold that up really quick, Lucas. So that just goes on a tripod and they put, literally the shooter just pushes a button. Yep. And it spins just like that. It takes what, 30 seconds, 60 seconds, a spin. And then they move that two feet and they push the button. They move it two feet. And I've seen now, thank you, you guys, um, with like catamarans and uh, there's a ton of other applications you'll see Matterport inside of. It's not just residential houses, um, but it makes that experience that much better. So it, you can't control and someone could correct me if I'm wrong. I haven't seen a way to control that quality other than what created the Matterport scan. And number two would be what's the device you're putting the phone. Uh, what kind of device are you putting into the cardboard? So I've got a $1,200 iPhone 11 Pro. If you're using a four-year-old phone, it probably won't be as good of quality. Uh, but I don't think that that's your problem. I think the problem, if you're feeling like it's low quality, is the scan uh, the matter it must be. We're using uh, one of the higher end Ricos, but it's probably, I don't know why I didn't connect it. It must be the difference between the Rico and the Matterport camera. You get what you pay for. So to me, for an organization like yours, Bill, it's like, yeah, we can cut a corner. It's three grand. So like, get the best. Like, there's no reason not to. The cost for what, like if you used a company like Verly uh, to go in and do everything on the back end, the cost is no different if you use a Rico or if you're using a Matterport camera. But the big difference is we can actually pull pictures off the, the Matterport camera. So the camera that Lucas and Alyssa just purchased, that one, you can actually grab still images and use those as your pictures, which will save you 100 bucks a listing or 150 bucks a listing. You no longer have to pay for pictures. It's not as good. It'll also give you the floor plan too, correct? Um, yeah, it, and I don't know if that, with how that all works, but yeah, we can do a floor plan. We can do dollhouse where you can, from outside of the house, you see all the rooms and there's all sorts of cool stuff. I'm going to throw, just for anyone that hasn't seen this that's newer to the group, I'm going to throw inside the chat a link to exactly the product offering I'm talking about that includes the Matterport. Um, it also includes a video fly through using a Steadicam, drone flyover, and pictures. So you can see exactly what that looks like. But the problem isn't Google Cardboard. Now, you are placing that experience. Let's say you are going to use a really expensive camera, and then you're putting someone in Cardboard. You're now taking the best visual experience and putting it in the worst visual experience, if that makes sense. You're giving them the worst technology. The best, what I'm recommending to the group, is Oculus Quest goggles. Um, a step below that would be your Oculus Go which really all you need is Go for Matterport. But if you're going to buy the Go, you might as well spend the extra money and buy the Quest because then not only will it work with Matterport 3D spins, it will work with the 3D renders if you ever want to use the six degrees of freedom where you're walking around. And if you didn't see it, I did a whole training on this a couple Thursdays ago. Just search virtual reality in the search and I did a whole 30-minute training on exactly what all the different technologies are that are out there. But my suggestion, if you can drop the money on it, is a $450 Oculus Quest goggle and a $300 Matterport camera. You guys, correct me if I'm wrong, Alyssa. I want to make sure I'm saying the numbers right. Is that about the price? How much, how much are you guys in, Lucas, for all that stuff? The the Matterport uh, came out like three grand with taxes. Okay. That's what I thought. But that's if you buy it through Burley to get the discount. If yeah. you get through Burley. Yeah, we get you like a thousand. I don't know if it's a thousand off. I had heard four four hundred. Four hundred dollars off. Um when and when Matterport first come out came out, you had to be a Matterport 
um, you had to be like approved through Matterport to even use their equipment. And they found that program didn't work. And then they said, Hey, anyone can buy it. And it was like eight grand and the price has come way down. So again, if email me, if you guys want this proprietary to your office, what we see a lot of offices doing, and I won't speak for Lucas and Alyssa, but what I've seen a lot of offices do, for example, on my office, we've got 60 agents right now. We want to grow into hundreds of agents. We require every agent to pay $250 and that 250 goes towards a drone flyover. It goes towards the 360 scan. It goes towards the fly through and that proprietary link like the one I just sent out that is branded to the agent and redirects all leads to the agent. And because I own Verly, I make margin on that. Everyone else we partner with pays 250 as well. So they're usually having their agents pay 300 or 350. And then the team lead or the person that invested in the technology is getting to make a little bit of margin every time somebody chooses to get a Verly on their listing. Bill, I hope that addressed your question. I'm sorry, I don't have a better answer, but you get what you pay for is probably the best answer. Um, the strategy behind the Google Cardboard, and I'm glad you invested in some of those, is that you can take them with you on a list pres and it gives you a leave behind and it makes you different than everybody else. In reality, that client's not going to really use the Google Cardboard for looking for homes. It's just kind of a fun way to showcase the technology that you're going to provide to them when they list with you by pulling it up. And literally, you can click on that link I just shared with you to show them the best example of what um, their house could look like inside of Matterport. Got it. Thanks, Jeff. Yeah. All right. Who was up? Bernard, I think. And then who wants to be after Bernard? Get somebody on deck. No, somebody's got to have another question. All right. Justin again. Perfect. Bernard, go ahead. Yeah. I mean, I agree with this cardboard. I noted that too. Um, you know, when we started um, using Matterport and we used Rico before as well, um, there was not much of a difference if you watched all the things through the cardboard thing. So, you know, I follow your recommendation. We're going to be getting those Oculus things as well, even to bring out to listing presentations. Um, but to uh, to my question, because you're saying, you know, culture and, and motivating people. So we currently have five agents and we grew ever since we came on with you um, by, by three agents now. Um, and some of those really seem to be um, agents that I think could take some kind of a leadership role within the agent environment, meaning building possibly their own team or helping out with the coaching, what have you. And I know you guys recommend to bring on a success manager. Um, however, you know, since there seem to be, I mean, at least two of them, uh, you know, I think have a good feeling that they could be uh, leading their own teams. Is that too early? You know, just having five agents and already starting the conversation about having them lead their own team. Yeah. How long have you been a success manager? <laughs> For ever since I came on with you, we started five, half a year ago. So I'm six months. That. Yeah. So you probably need to be a success manager longer so that you have better expectations on what the job duties would be for the success manager you hire from within or from without, and then what you'd hold them accountable to. So I didn't hire Andy as my part-time success manager until I had 12 agents. Right. So if you download my business plan, it'll talk about, you know, what, at what step and every, every organization's different. Uh, but I think that you need to work in that capacity longer. I've worked every job that I now have other people working at some point in some capacity. But I think the numbers 10 to 12, the military has that figured out. Typically, you got to, you know, you're running a platoon of a 10 to 12 guys and gals. Um, I'd recommend it be about the same. So you don't bring on a 
success manager or accountability coach, essentially. And if you're not going to do it, then you do need to have someone do it. But if you're willing to do it, I think 10 to 12. And when you look at a 20 minute accountability meeting, what I did for five years is I used my Monday meeting after we had our group meeting, I would do one-on-ones all Monday. So every week I knew Monday was the day I'd do the brokerage meeting, which was a team meeting until this year. And then I would do one-on-ones all day long and I'd have everybody in a time slot on Mondays. So everybody knew they'd get to see me in the brokerage meeting and then they'd get me looking at their, their CRM and, you know, encouraging them and listening to their fluffy cat stories. And we'd go through their key performance indicators and then they were off for the rest of the week to go do their thing. Well, what took my time wasn't that one-on-one. It was all the questions and issues that came up Tuesday through Sunday. So when I hired Andy, I did hire him to do the Monday one-on-ones, but I wanted him more to deal with the Tuesday through Sunday responsibilities. So you could choose, one could choose to only do the one-on-one, but have somebody else for the for the questions or the opposite. And this is where it comes back to the seven levels of, or sorry, the five dysfunctions of a team, figuring out where you think you'll offer the most value to your agents. Would it be in being the contact nights, weekends that they have questions for, or would it be in the one-on-one, or would it be in both? And then deciding when you want to leverage it. But it is great when you have people that have the, the skill set to be able to bring value in some way, creating opportunities for them is really important because it keeps them interested and keeps them engaged. Just make sure that you do it at the right time. But back to the sub, I mean, sub team, meaning a team within a team, that's, that doesn't make any sense at that point, right? Even to, to put that out there, because eventually, from what I understand, is a team within the team. The team leader then is going to do those accountability meetings for their own team members, right? Yes. That doesn't. So if, if there's an agent within your team that decides they want to have their own team, they then, that would be the whole idea is if they're going to add agents, they then need to be the accountability coach to their agents. Those agents have to call them. So from a hierarchy, we always ran our team like a brokerage. So if an agent on a team had a question and they came directly to us, the broker, we'd say, you need to ask your team leader. Then the team leader had a person they could reach out to, which is typically Andy. And then if Andy couldn't answer the question, he'd reach out to our company's broker. And if the broker couldn't answer the question, then they'd reach out to me. But I was always the last person anyone would ever contact. And I put myself in a position from leverage, and we've talked about this in leveraged roles, where anything that ever came to me, I could say to someone, that's an Andy question, that's a Clayton question, that's a Lee question. I didn't want to have to be the guy. And I tried to train my agents, not back to culture, that my agents knew what roles I was in and what roles I wasn't and when it was appropriate to contact me and when it wasn't. And by doing that, it saved me tons of time. And as you get busier and busier, all of us are busy, right? We all share the same exact amount of time. Time is the most valuable asset we all have the same amount of. And so by having these leveraged roles and making sure people knew uh, when to contact who and who the right people were, um, that made a big difference for me to be the, able to then go to other areas of my business and grow it without having as many distractions. All right. And does Clayton happen to have on the Google Drive some kind of outline for a team within the team setup, commissions, that kind of thing, the roles? Um, I don't know if we do. What we've chosen to do, though, I can share that with you really quickly. Uh, we We essentially took whatever our uh, commission structure was and knocked it down 10%. Okay. So if an agent, you know, let, let's say your splits are 60, 40, 70, 30, 80, 20, then we just said, okay, if you're an agent within a team on the team, you knock it down 10% so that the team leader can make a 10 to 30% margin, 30% if they generate the lead, 10% if the agent within their company generates the lead. The biggest rule is from a making sure you don't run into problems standpoint is the agents within the team, we do the same thing from a brokerage level. They cannot offer a better split to their agents 
than what yeah. the brokerage offers to new agents. And that's the huge dysfunction we often see as a brokerage says the most will pay out is 70, 30, but then you have agents inside the brokerage that are capping or you have agents inside the brokerage that are hundred percenters paying to have a hundred percent split and they're offering new agents an 80, 20 split. And so now my own agents are winning out recruits over me because they're offering a better split than I'll even offer. So at our brokerage, the rule is that the agent cannot offer a better split. The team cannot offer a better split to the agents they recruit than what the brokerage would offer to that agent that they're recruiting. They can offer a worse split. That's more in the team leaders, you know, more money going to the team leader. They can do that. They just can't offer a better split. Okay. All right. Good questions, Bernard. All right, Justin, back to you. I think it was back to you, right? I think so. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, have, uh, um, uh, I think you guys have. I just wanted to get some feedback on Wise Hire. Um, have you had some experience with it? Um, any suggestions? I'm looking to uh, make a few shifts in the in the admin and and also um, bring in a different marketing person. So I wanted to. I was exploring using Wise Hire's platform to to yeah. kind of help sort through that. I wanted to get some feedback and thoughts. Sure. On that. Yeah, I know we talked. Uh, I don't remember which which training it was. It was a couple weeks ago, and we talked about all of the different companies we've used to hire. Wise hires one on the list. Um, what was the other one, Clayton, that we always talked about getting agents from? Uh, Indeed. Indeed is the big one. I hear a lot about LinkedIn and then Facebook, Instagram, any social media posts. Um, I don't personally have an answer for you, Justin. I would have to refer to Clayton or Andy. And Andy will be on next week to talk about that. I don't know. We have like a, um, two admin positions we're trying to fill right now. And I know that they were going to go out to Wise Hire and have Wise Hire help us in filling those positions. But I haven't gotten any feedback yet from that. Do you know, Clayton? Um, I know we've gotten some. I, I feel like we get a better response when we're when we're doing a position like that. I mean, we've we've done stuff for agents and stuff on there. But I know Sam's had a few interviews here for the admin spot and they've come off of that wise hire. Um so are you asking be, for admin or for agents? Sorry to cut you off, Clayton. You're fine. Justin. Uh, both, both. Uh, okay. um, uh, Wisehire has a platform, so it's kind of a plug and play where they have templates and then they have like yeah. a, a catch and how you can organize all the leads yeah. coming in. So like, indeed, we've used it. LinkedIn, we've used it, but there's no like system to catch them and filter them. There's yeah. a disk system set up within Wisehire. Cool. So it looks really appealing to me. I'm just, I was just wondering before I make the dive, like, you know, yes. if anybody experienced it. So I'll talk to Andy. Can anyone else speak to Wisehire in the group? Has anyone else had a lot of success with Wisehire or used them? They came out to our event last summer and I was very impressed with their presentation. We're going to continue working with them. So I, they are one of the top five that I would recommend using. Another company that we've been testing out is Recruiting Bridge, which that might be the name. Uh, Lucas, are you familiar with those guys? Um, out of uh, Charlotte, Charlotte, not Charlotte, Charleston, South Carolina. They're a KW team, and they built a product called Recruiting Bridge in KW, but there's another product outside of KW, and it helps with recruiting as well. But we're beta testing. That's why I haven't talked about it yet. So anything we talk about on the show, we're going to try it out first. Um, Wise Hire is one where I know that it's a great product because I've seen it, but we haven't necessarily used it or needed to use it. Uh, but now we are using all of these for both recruiting and admin. So we'll have Andy address it next week. Bring it back up in Q&A next week, Justin. All right. Time for probably one or two more good questions. What issues are you guys having? It can be on any topic. Is there anything else? Sam, you always have questions. You came on today, no video. You're just kind of hiding there in the corner. I was eating in the beginning. I didn't want you to have to see uh, downing a Subway sandwich. 
No worries. Got any questions? Um, nothing that's jumping to mind right now. I, I had a coaching call with Logan right before this, so I was able oh, cool. to get a few stuff out to him. All right. So I'm going to slaughter the name, but Guevara, Uedi, Guevara, maybe I got it. What's the best way to generate listing leads? So we could end on this. This is a good one right now, what people are having success with. I've always been a big believer by generating buyer leads. Um, you're going to generate listing leads. Of course, there's three different buckets of leads, sphere of influence, cold prospecting, and internet leads, which I put in the same category as sign calls. Um, working one's sphere of influence is the best place. Letting your sphere know that if, if your market is coming back online and things aren't crazy still with COVID, letting people know that things are coming back online and that you're seeing record highs and this is a great time to list, even though co there's COVID and all that's going on, this is still a good time to list. Houses are selling. I think people knowing that it's important. So communicating that on social media. Um, if you're wanting to spend some money, maybe we could take this one out to the group. Does anyone have any uh, really successful lead gen strategies for listing leads specifically if somebody's willing to put a little bit of money towards it. Justin, you want to go first and then Lucas and we'll end on this. Sure, sure. Um, so we've had a lot of luck with, because uh, COVID um, is affecting people financially. A lot of our clients are owners of properties, income properties, rental properties. We do a big ton. We have like a property management division. So we've been reaching out to all those landlords checking in. Hey, are your tenants paying their, paying their rent? Can we help you with anything? Can we help the tenant? And we're finding out that a lot of landlords are just pinched. Their jobs have been changed. They need to sell their assets. So we're getting a ton of listings right now from just talking to those landlords and saying, hey, is it time to cash out this property? Are you either tired of dealing with tenants during COVID or are you just in a financial strain? So that's been a really well, really low cost, mm. but highly effective on our uh, listings. That's awesome. I'm, I'm glad that that's happening. I, I'm not surprised. Um, Justin's in Southern California. We have not seen that in the Midwest. And I was really hoping um, that we would see more tenants not paying rent. I say that and own 80 doors, but I was hoping to see more landlords struggling and wanting to give their properties away. And we're not seeing that. It's probably the opposite. All right, Lucas, you want to address that really quick? Listing lead strategies? Um, can you hear me? Yep. Okay, so we did um, non-resident owners where we go to the central appraisal district and ask them for a list of non-resident owners in a certain area of town. Um, it's just where the taxers, taxes are sent um, right. anywhere else except for that house. Yep. Um, and then we look through uh, RedX to get the phone numbers and call them. We get quite a bit. And then for our investors or flips or now, we would take those properties and get to sell them twice. So, yep. Yeah, and, right. and we have a, a guy we're selling a lot of his rental houses here because he's going into Oklahoma in a in a cheaper town, so he's cashing out here and invest moving that money into Oklahoma. Okay, cool. Well, it's interesting. Both of your examples included somebody that probably owned property um, that would want to sell it. So those are some ideas. Our taxes are insane here. And so three percent. Yeah. Three percent property tax. So people are wanting to drop their houses. Yeah, that is insane. Yeah, Crazy. Yes. <laughs> wow. All right, you guys. Well, that was that's a wrap. Great questions. Thanks for sticking around. Most of you stuck around for the Q&A. As you see, anything can come out of the Q&A section. 
Uh, but we are keeping 30-minute topical, 30-minute Q&A. So if you do just want to come in to download the topics and don't have the time for the Q&A, no one's offended. But it is great value add for all of us to be here. And I will do my best to not have to be the one to answer every question and use this experienced group to hop in here and share our experiences. So feel free to reach out to me directly again if you want to talk more verbally uh, slash digital marketing, Jeff at KWLE.com or just Facebook message me. And until next time, we'll see you guys next Thursday. Well, that's a wrap. Hope you enjoyed our high-level team leader training. Be sure to take advantage of the following trainings that go into the details of exactly how to implement the topics that we're covering on these high-level calls. If you want to learn more information about our high-level team leader training product, you can go out to EliteRealEstateSystems.com or schedule a customized one-on-one -on -one call with our Director of Growth at ERSDemoCall.com. Yeah, 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 yeah.